Okay, let's pray. Father God, may our hearts and lives be open to your moulding, your shaping, the guidance of your Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I think I've shared before when I was young, I knew what I wanted to do when I was a little fella. I remember clear as a bell when people asked me what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a racing car driver. And I remember one guy that was doing some work at our house when he asked me and I told him that. And he said, oh, a short but sweet life. <laughs> and, uh, but then as you grow up, life seems to get more serious as you go along. When you're in kindy, you know, you paint and you sing and you have stories and it's fun. Don't kids have a lot of joy? It seems as you get older, when you're at school and they're talking about you know, working towards having a job and a career, painting and art and music and drama, that sort of thing, or racing car driver, isn't at the top of the realistic list. And so, you know, you're moulded and shaped in a, in a different direction. And I know as I got a bit older again and like into high school, probably about year 10 or 11, I thought, I didn't really know what I wanted to do that was realistic. Because all the stuff at the top of my list I was told wasn't realistic. So, um, my parents actually sent me to see a psychologist. Not because they thought there was something wrong with me, but because they can do testing to see what your aptitudes are. You know, what are you good at? And, you know, because I didn't sort of think that there was anything particularly, you know, wasn't particularly gifted in any area. When, and when they tested me, that was correct. Um, I measured... Oh, they got, I was 16, and it was an adult test, so I probably scored lower than I would have if I was an adult, at an adult level. But um, my worst was maths, but even still, I was still better than 70% of the population, according to them. And my best was um, artistic or creative reasoning. And that was better than 80% of the population for that one. So all of my skills were sort of 70 to 80% of the population I was supposed to be better than. So I was good, but not outstanding at anything. So um, it was, you know, encouraging to know that I wasn't um, struggling in any particular area. Um, but they suggested, because I was, had a, uh, you know, a good grasp of most things, you know, be good to have a career where I could use my logical thought and my creative thought, but um, they said not many people have both. And so um, they said, suggested something that I should do that um, I can use both sides of my mind. And um, I thought, okay, and they suggested a few things. And one of them was industrial design, which I did pursue. But along the way, I could see. I didn't feel that that was going to be the direction for me when I was studying and I wanted to follow God really and I didn't feel that God was saying go in that direction I felt he was going, saying go back to one of your original desires which was um, music 
singing, songwriting. And, you know, I did uh, quit my job and try it for a while <laughs> without much success. Um, so a lot of that sort of stuff, you rely on other people, and I, I found I didn't actually like promoting myself, which is a bit of a problem when, you know, your whole career revolves around needing to promote yourself. And so, and I, I, I did discover I liked working with other people, so I was in a band, and so you rely on the other people to be serious about the direction you're pursuing as well, and we were all unemployed, so we could have been serious if we wanted to, and we did start getting gigs around town and doing stuff, you know, it was, it was alright for a while, but, you know, when you earn about 50 bucks a week, <laughs> free beer, of course, when you're playing, uh, which, you know, wasn't my thing anyway, because I wanted to follow God. And it felt like I didn't fit in this world. I thought, where's my place in this world? Where... Where does God want me? I looked at pursuing a, you know, ministry paths and that didn't really seem to be working out either. So I felt really a bit lost. I didn't feel like I had my place in this world and I guess I was a bit upset at God as well really because even though I love God and had no problem going to him, I expected God to do the work for me. <laughs> Well, and make a way. Is he supposed to make a way, path? Make it all happen for me. Well, you've got to put some work in yourself as well. But I wrote a song um, which I think sums up that time, and I thought I'll sing that for you now. <laughs> you can see this guitar's had a bit of a, a bit of a rough journey. Uh, all right. Looks pretty grim Just do what you think you should And follow every whim you have Turn a blind eye to the truth So your conscience doesn't feel so bad It's all up to me and you To do something to help this sad
So turn a blind eye to the truth So your conscience doesn't feel so bad It's all up to me and you To do something to help this sad old world Our world Can't you see we're hurting our world Our world well, Can we live together in this world? world You can't tell me People. So turn a blind eye to the truth So your conscience doesn't feel so bad It's all up to me and you To do something to help this sad old world Our world Can't you see we're hurting our world Our world well, Can we live together in this world Our world Yeah So you can hear in that song, frustration, disappointment, but also hope for a better day, um, that, I, I, that I would find a place in the world um, and that it would have a purpose and a meaning. Um, is, is I wanted to do something that had purpose and meaning in my life. Um, but the only way we can find that is when we surrender to God and let him mould us and him shape us and um, you know it took a lot more years for him to um, for me to be open to that <laughs> and surrender to his will and his way so let me ask you, what moves you? Now I'm not asking you what car you drive or a movie you watch that made you cry. What moves your heart? What's important to you? Because the heart moves our will which directs what we focus on. That's why God has a lot to say about the heart in the Bible. He really cares about what our heart, where our hearts are at, and that's why I really—that's what I really want us to think about today. How is God moving your heart? What's He doing in your heart? What has He placed in your heart? When we remember, think back of, of Moses. He went up onto the mountain. He was face to face with God in the presence of God. When he came back down. He had a tabernacle in his heart. I'm, I'm amazed when I ring that. Just the detail. I mean, I know he was up on the mountain with God, but it was 40 days, a long time. But I, just all the detail that's there, the intricacies of the, of the tabernacle when he came down. And then God moved the people's hearts to give 
to the tabernacle as well in Exodus 25. So the heart is a very important thing for God. And when Israel asked for a king, they got Saul to start with, but he jumped the gun and didn't wait for God, and God rejected him. But when Samuel was choosing who was to be the next king, and Jesse brought all his sons, he knew it was going to be one of Jesse's sons, and brought them before him, and he thought, surely this guy's going to be the, the one. He's tall, he's handsome, he looks really good. Surely, and God says, no, I don't look at the outside like people do. I look at the heart. And when he talks about David as being someone that's after his own heart. So when he, he first saw David, he, he remarks on his appearance as well that he, um, his outward appearance looked to be good and he was you know, a very attractive, charismatic, talented uh, young man but that wasn't what impressed God it was that he, his heart was after God and it was interesting listening to one day I was listening to Life FM and they brought on a guy who was a Christian guy, an employment expert, and asking, you know, how do you, you know, you go about choosing people for these businesses that you, you know, you're a consultant for? And he said, oh, it's very easy, I just look for character. And they go, but what about skills and, you know, isn't that the most important thing for a job? He says, no, no, no not at all. Because he said, if you employ on character, you can teach skills to anyone, as long as they've got a natural aptitude. But you can't teach character. But God can shape people's hearts. And he said the, the number one reason that people always get sacked is because of their character. So the world has things around the wrong way because they always choose on aptitude, skills and experience and those, it's not that those things are unimportant but they're the first things they look at and often we see that sometimes in church where you know, someone is so charismatic and you know, they just draw people to them and around them but they might not necessarily have a good character and you know, that's you know, uh, often they're the ones that fall into temptation and not that no one, I mean we're all, the devil knows what our weaknesses are and what our temptations are and he will try and zero in on them. But it's, it's not often the most talented people that go the journey with God. I remember the Reverend Dr John Smith um, talking to me about the most talented guy he'd ever met and he said he was incredible guy and you know he said he felt so in awe of him when he was at university and and thought that he was going to be the next greatest preacher in Australia and then he ran into him 20 years later and he was living in a relationship with two women and he'd gone away from God so talent doesn't have a lot to do with it 
obedience does and submitting our hearts to God. One of the things that Jesus criticised the Pharisees was because they were obsessed with keeping what they looked like on the outside and keeping up appearances. So they wanted to appear like they were doing the right thing. But Jesus confronted their hypocrisy because in their hearts they were not right with God and taught Jesus taught that all sin and deceit have their origin in the hearts of men where it's conceived. Jesus accused the Pharisees of being like whitewashed tombs. They look all nice on the outside, but are full of death and decay on the inside. That's a pretty harsh criticism. It doesn't really get much worse than that. And I remember when I was young, I had... um, I was on an Easter camp, and we were sent away for prayer and things like that and I I had a vision where I saw um, the shape of a church and it was black but it wasn't a solid shape, it was like a black hole like you can put your hand into and light was trying to get in and then on the top was a star, like a Christmas star on the top and then a shape of a man came in the side and he was a black hole inside as well and he climbed up the black hole building, ripped the star off the roof and threw it on the ground and I said surely not Lord, surely surely not he's saying that's what the church is like and I said show me in the scriptures Lord surely there must, why, why, how could this be how could this be? How could a church be just full of darkness, like Satan, basically? And, I mean, there was hope. There was the star on the top, but there was no one protecting the star, so it was ripped off and thrown on the ground. But I believe they were the ones that were still true to the Lord. But Jesus led led me to Mark 7 where the Pharisees, leaders asked Jesus, why don't your followers wash their hands and follow the traditions of the elders? And Jesus confronted them about that and said, you honour me with your lips but your hearts are far from me. You set aside the commands of God and follow the traditions of men. And many of these traditions are started up with good reason and godly reasons, but then they become traditions and they and people are just going through rituals. And the Pharisees, is why Jesus criticised them earlier as well, when I was talking before, have invented their own religion. And they thought they were following God. They developed a series of traditions and rituals where they thought they could be obedient to God if they followed them all. But one of the things we taught about in the New Testament is that it's through faith in God that we are saved, not by the actions that we follow. But Jesus says, out of the our actions will show what's in our heart. Our actions are like our fruit. So it says, you'll know a tree by, the, by its fruit. 
So out of the heart, he said, comes all deceit and wickedness and all sinful thought, and which is why you know, he confronted the, the Pharisees and said, you know, you say you don't commit adultery, you don't murder, but if you hate your brother, you're a murderer. If you um, look at a woman lustfully, you're an adulterer. Because all, all of those things start here and you start contemplating them. A seed is planted and if we keep entertaining it, it grows. And if it grows too big, it, our lives are out of control. And, you know, we're, um, Alex shared, we were at Teen Challenge yesterday and unfortunately some of those young men let things grow in their life that took over their lives and they lost control of their lives. One of the lies of the devil is that he wants us to think we are in control of our lives. If we surrender our control to God, that is the only hope we've got, is in Christ. So by what we say and what we do, we can see what's going on in people's hearts. But Jesus says, when you listen to my teaching and put it into practice, it's like someone who digs deep and lays their foundation on solid rock. So when our heart is surrendered to Jesus, our thoughts and actions are directed to build eternal values and godly purposes in our life. Whereas when we have worldly desires in our heart, we are building without a proper foundation, and no matter how attractive it looks, or how good the performance is, it's never going to stand the storms of life. And certainly at the end of the day, it won't uh, stand judgment. And I'd just like um, Barry to, um, if, to come up and share about what God had put in his heart and how he started Table College. Because God doesn't necessarily need to be a, a big thing like Barry had, but God can put big things in our hearts. He can put small things in our hearts. Like just to go and speak to someone. Thank you. If you have that one. Yeah, thank, thanks, Brent. Is this one guy? Yep. 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 Okay. Um, Brendan asked if I would come and share briefly this morning. I said the dangerous word there is briefly. <laughs> so, um, but just picking up now what he's been talking about, um, uh, there's no doubt, uh, let me just say first to your point about character, that that's certainly a, a key thing, that you can learn a lot of stuff, but character is what you are, not what you know. And so that's so uh, very important. And I certainly always rather work with people that I can trust, even if they do maybe such a skillful job as someone else might do. But uh, talking about this being after God's own heart, uh, the, I remember as a youngster, when I first heard about being filled with the Holy Spirit, that looking back on it, I can only describe what happened to me as, as if there was a yearning in my heart. Just a yearning for something more of God. I was only 14. And uh, I'd become a Christian a few years before that as a child, understanding fairly limited, 
But I knew I was saved. I knew I knew Jesus. But here, this is yearning to please God. I remember reading John 8, 29, where Jesus said, I always do the things that please the Father. And I thought, how do you do that? How can you always please the Father? But um, I'm still not sure if I can answer that question, but I don't know. I had a good shot at it along the way. And, uh, but when it comes to, you especially mentioned Tabor College, there's so many things I could say there. In fact, I've just done a series of new um, Bible plans for you version and uh, one of those I've given 10 ways in which God led me about Tabor so two minutes each that would be 20 minutes this morning which I don't think I can do so let me just take the, the heart bit and uh, a couple of things one was uh, even though I had been a pastor for some years uh, the thing that I really loved was teaching and you know some of the stuff you just have to say well God just puts it on your heart I mean, the fact that my dad was a teacher probably helped, but there was a kind of just a desire for that, but I was happy to do whatever opened up. But then the other thing was, during the charismatic renewal of the 1970s, that most people here won't know much about, but the mainline church people were hearing about the things of the Spirit and getting excited about it. The churches that had, uh, like mine, uh, when I was younger, uh, basically kicked us out when we got filled with the Spirit and if we spoke in tongues that was kind of the end and uh, instead of that suddenly changed we found the churches doing the opposite they were inviting us in and, and they wanted to know more but the problem was that they weren't getting any decent teaching um, and uh, I guess that was part of the human motivation I, I'd see because what would happen was that the churches were bringing these big names from overseas and often they would just be um, evangelists or people who specialised in divine healing but as teachers they really weren't up to much and so people would go to these meetings and they'd get very excited because they'd see things happen and spectacular things but then they didn't understand it they didn't know why it was happening what the scripture was teaching and so things went wrong very often and I'd go to some of those meetings and I'd groan because I could see that what was being said and done was really not biblical and so that was this thing you're talking about, what's, what's your heart long for and what's your heart feeling. I just, my heart is um, just deeply concerned and it still is about those issues. Um, I spoke at a youth camp some years back down at Victor Harbour, not that long ago, with the Aust Australasian church, mainly Asian young people. And I was a camp speaker. <clears throat> the first morning they brought in a missionary uh, from... Thailand, I think, and he didn't speak for very long, but uh, which I was glad about because he was so such an outstanding speaker that the comparison would have ruined me. Uh, so, but on the other hand, I also thought that actually they should, I should sit down and give this guy the platform because he was just so challenging. One of the things he said, he asked a question. He said, "What makes you angry? What makes you angry in a godly sense?" What makes you angry? And uh, I thought, well, what makes me angry? I had a, an order in my, my church, what was what's now Port Life Church, as many years back, and sickness used to make him angry. He used to go looking for sick people. He's got mad at sickness and he wanted to heal people and he wasn't that good at it, but he had a good shot and he tried because he just broke his heart that people were suffering pain. And uh, I just didn't feel like that. You know, I could feel sad for sick people, but it didn't anger me. 
But when I saw ignorance, that made me angry. I thought, that's not right, it's not true, it's not what the scripture says. And so uh, that's a kind of another way of describing what you're saying this morning, I think, Brenton, that mm. you know, what moves your heart, what challenges you. And the one overall thing that needs to challenge us all is, is the lostness of people. That there are so many people in our country, and our country has become so secular, and uh, there's uh, such a anger in some cases against God, and there's uh, kind of a, on the other hand, a kind of indifference that people don't care much about God. So, to go back to my original question, how did Tayboy start? Well, Tayboy started out my sense of anger about ignorance. I said, we need a college where people can come and learn and be trained uh, to teach and to preach and to act biblically. And so that's, how, that's really how Tayboy started. There's, there are other things, I mean, the words of prophecy that I received, there, there are certain circumstantial things that happen, there are a lot of other things, but that was the fundamental thing. That, that's something I just wanted to somehow address that issue because that's what was breaking my heart. So, that's enough. Thank you. Thank you, Barry. That's awesome. Okay. But I think that's a, um, a great thing you shared about, yeah, what, what makes us angry? What do we want to see changed? Um, what's, um, what's God putting on our heart? Because Jesus also says, where your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. So what do your eyes delight in? What are you chasing after? Don't go chasing the things that are not of God, only the things that he has laid on your heart. You can't serve two masters, he says here. When we are devoted to God, we don't have to worry because he will provide everything we need. Because often fear is one of the things that, you know, I, I know in me, and the, you know, I've taught a, a lot about, taught a lot about my younger years and my struggles. But one of the principal things that stopped me going f- forward was, um, you know, there was opposition from my, my parents, um, even people in the church. Um, but primarily was my own fear of you know, how am I going to survive, how am I going to cope, you know, how am I going to plan this. I can see where I want to be, but I've got no idea how to get there. And, um, you know, it's the everyday things of life, food and clothes and, and all that sort of stuff. But in um, Matthew 6, verse 25, God tells us not to worry about those things because God will provide. Seek the kingdom of God above all things and he will give you everything we need. That's a promise that Jesus gives us. And does he keep his promises? Yes, he does. He doesn't always provide exactly how we would like. (laughs) But he does provide. And I'd I'd like to invite Anne up to share a little bit about how God has provided for her and Daryl over the years of, of their ministry. I can certainly testify that, that God does provide. Uh, I was just, when Brenton asked me yesterday, I mentally went through the years, uh, 49 years, and um, 
told enough about 11 years that Daryl actually earned a full-time wage um, in all the churches that we've been in. A lot of them were pioneering situations where there was not the money to pay a full-time wage and um, so um, it was the first year that we were married. He still had his job <laughs> before he went full-time ministry and then there was uh, then we um, at the church at Rosewater and they didn't have the money to pay him a full-time wage but they paid a part-time wage in faith because they didn't have a lot of money to spare either. Um, then when we went to Narracourt, of course, there was no, no wage at all for a bit until we uh, established the church there. And then uh, I think probably the last three or four years there, we were actually on a, uh, a real wage. None of them, never has have any of the wages been astronomical. They've always been a very modest uh, full-time wage. And then uh, on Kangaroo Island, there was nothing. Um, other than what various people gave us and the Lord provided in various and sundry ways. Um, we were lined a boat and we ate a lot of fish. <laughs> um, and then uh, Wyala, uh, the first couple of years we were on a proper wage and then we started the church in the pub and we were paid whatever came in the offering from just a few people like we've got here. Uh, then Hallett Cove, we actually got a full-time wage because we were invited to, Daryl was invited to look after a, an established church. And uh, so that was four years there. And then, of course, we started a, a bit of real estate work because Daryl decided he'd had enough of working and looking after a church for a while. And... Uh, we didn't make any great amount of money with the real estate, but enough to live on. And uh, in the Uniting Church, of course, was only small and only offered us 12 hours a week. So the Lord has provided somehow or another. And I have a nice car. I have a nice home that's nearly all paid for. And I don't understand quite how it all happened. But uh, just one little story. When Naomi was about 10, she got up one morning and said, I had a nightmare that I married a pastor. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we said, well, why was that a nightmare? And she said, because they don't get paid much at all. And, and I like nice things. I want to have nice things. And, and so we said to her, well, what's, what's, what's our house like? And at the time we were renting a... Uh, a lovely brick home in Wyala with a swimming pool and everything you could want. And she said, well, that's okay. And uh, we happened to have just bought a new car. And so we said, well, what's wrong with the car? Oh, well, that's okay. And then she says, well, how come? <laughs> how come we've got this nice stuff if you don't get paid much, Dad? And uh, uh, God provides. Thanks, Anne. Yes, if we look with human eyes, um, it looks pretty scary. <laughs> but somehow God makes a way, even when there doesn't appear to be a way. But when God 
has put something on your heart, the devil will do everything he can to try and take that away from you. So it's important to guard our heart. Proverbs 4 verse 23 says, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. So opposition and trials will come, but don't let our hearts be troubled, go faint or melt in the face of oppositions. Don't let your hearts be overcome by fear like I was. This is not meant for us, it's meant for God's enemies. They're the ones that are supposed to be in fear when we follow God, and that does happen. So we see when Israel was going into the promised land, and they were spying it out, and the spies went, ended up at Rahab's house, um, and, and Rahab um, tells them, that because of what God has done through, through Israel, everyone in the city, their hearts have melted with fear, she says. Um, there's a paralyzing fear in the land because of what the Lord has done through the Israelites. And then in Joshua 5, later on, um, when they crossed over the Jordan on dry land, and when the um, nations there in Israel heard about that, they lost heart and were paralyzed with fear because of them. If our heart is surrendered to be moulded and shaped by God, we can be anything he wants us to be. If we go back to the start at Genesis, in Genesis 2-7, God formed the man from the dust, from the ground. And in Isaiah 64-8, it says that he is the potter and we are the clay. So it's Are we malleable enough for God to mould us and shape us? And just so happens that one of the things I did along the way was I I studied ceramics. I did a a certificate in ceramics at TAFE, which took a year, um, which I really enjoyed, and then never did anything with it. (laughs) But um, it it was a, a good journey, and the seven steps to getting a finished clay um, clay pot from preparing you've got to choose the clay that you want we never did that because it came in a bag but there's four different types of clay and when it's being prepared they've got to weather it, wash it, sieve it bash it to get rid of all the impurities, the lumps and the clumps and then when we get it you've got to knead it to get the air out of it the air is like, a bit like um, sin, you've got to let God work with you to get the sin out of your life because if there's any air in that pot when it goes into the, into the kiln to be fired, guess what happens? The air explodes, the pot explodes. <laughs> it, just, it, gets, it gets blown up basically. So we can't come into the... And it's a bit like, I always thought that's very representative of us coming into the presence of God. We can't come into the presence of God without our sin being dealt with. Thank you, Jesus, that you've done that on the cross. That he's created in us a pure heart that is acceptable to God. 
But after you've kneaded it, it's got to be centred on the wheel. And that reminds us that we've got to be centred in Christ. Think about what connects us to God. It can be good leadership. We've got to spend time with God. And then, once it's centred, it can then be shaped on the wheel. And it's shaped on the inside and the outside. And that's what God does with us as well. And Bob talks about being set apart for special purposes, being holy vessels. But after the shaped, actually, it's not ready yet. It gets put to rest. I think for two, I can't remember how long, for at least two or three days um, on the shelf, just sits and rests before anything else is done with it. And that's really important for us as well to listen, make that time to rest and listen and focus on God. And then it's put into the kiln, <laughs> just with, where it's tempered and it's able to have purpose. And you know, I think of when John the Baptist talks about we're going to be baptised in fire. It could be the fire of Pentecost, but also the fire of judgment. And it's interesting that the, there's two firings when you make a pot. So after it's had the first firing is when you glaze it and decorate it. It's given its, beautifully, its beauty. Um, and then it's fired again. I think that almost symbolises the fire of judgment. So we were refired for eternal purpose in God's glory. God is the master craftsman. God made you to be who you are and he can make you a better version of yourself. St. Catherine of Siena said, Be who God meant you to be and you will set the world on fire. So how do you see yourself? How do you think God sees you? Is there a difference? I know I speak to so many Christians and they speak down on themselves all the time. And they talk down their potential. How is God seeing you? God knows exactly who you are and what you're capable of. And your potential to live with him. grow a good crop in our heart we need three things the water the sun and the soil and um, when we look at the parable of the sower we've run out of time so I'm not going to go into too many details but it talks about the different types of soil and I believe they're the different types of heart that we can have there's the hard heart which was the, the, the soil that's trodden down and trampled in the, on the path and the, um, the seed which is the word of God can't get any uh, penetration or, or grip in the soil there's the rocky soil where it starts off well with joy but because there's the rock it can't get deep down so it's cut off from a supply of water. Jesus talks about, if you listen to my sermon on the living water, it talks all about that. Where Jesus said to the woman, Well, if you drink the water I give you, you'll never thirst again. 
talking about his gift of the Holy Spirit. And the other one is the, the, the soil that has the weeds growing in it, where we, our focus is in the wrong place. We focus on gaining wealth, possessions, worrying about life and what's happening, rather than trusting God. And then, of course, there's the good soil, where the word of God is planted and yields a harvest 30, 60 or even 100 times more than planted. So the aim of letting God shape us is to achieve and reap a bumper harvest. We're not primarily talking about quantity here, but about the quality and substance of the crop. We want to to grow people who know and love the Lord deeply so they will forever be living in the light of his love, sustained by his living water, planted in a good heart, clay soil that will continue to produce a good crop. Living in his the glory of his light. He said, I am the light. If you follow me, you will never live in darkness. Psalm 37 says, Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Not that we get what we want, but we want what he wants. In other words, when we submit our will and our ways to God, he changes the desires of our hearts. So trust in the Lord with all your heart. What is God placing in your heart? We don't have to look far to find there's so many noble causes and needs in our world around us. And sometimes we can even feel overwhelmed by those things. But when God is moving our heart into something, all things are possible. Amen. Closing song, we sing, Change My Heart, O God.